0: Good evening Salt Company. Hey for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jordan Prohoda and I get to be the community ministry director here at Candeo Church. Uh, And actually had the privilege of directing Salt Company for a couple of years so I'm always thrilled when I get to come back. Uh, And yeah, happy Halloween. Uh, It's exciting that tonight's Halloween night. Uh, The interesting thing is tonight's passage is actually going to kind of line up with maybe the theme of Halloween I guess. Uh, Tonight's a bit of a uh, a bit more of a weighty passage. Um, so we're going to walk down paths that are a bit more dark, talk about the reality of, of death. And actually, I was telling the Salt staff this just this past Sunday, teaching out of Judges. It just feels like a weighty week of teaching uh, for me all of a sudden, uh, teaching one of the most disturbing passages in all of Scripture in Judges. And tonight we're going to talk about pain, suffering, and death. And so I want to start off tonight by asking, uh, if you've ever asked the question, where is God? You typically don't ask that question in the good moments. You ask those questions uh, in the hard moments, in the bad moments, when you say, where's God? Whether it's for you or for somebody else, right? Like in those dark times when you ask, how could God, who is in control, let this happen? Like, does he even care? Uh, it's, a, it's a big question to ask, right, for either a Christian or a, uh, someone who's not a Christian. It's a big question to ask. And, and tonight, guys, we're just going to roll up our sleeves, and we're going to open up God's Word, and we're going we're gonna to answer that question tonight. Uh, when you have those moments, where is God? We're going to answer that tonight. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and start turning to John chapter 11, as you guys turn there, I'm going to start summarizing, give you some background of, of this story. We're going to be introduced to three siblings Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, all three of these siblings were close to Jesus, he loved them all dearly. Uh, and we find out that Lazarus is sick, and they send a messenger to Jesus. In verse 3, the message is this Lord, the one you love is sick. But the weirdest thing happens Jesus doesn't go. Right away, he waits two days. Doesn't seem like he's in any kind of hurry, and then he tells his disciples, "Hey, we're going back to Judea where Lazarus was at the time." Uh, and his disciples are a bit confused, but they follow him anyway. And that brings us to verse 17. So I'm going to start reading for us this passage out of Luke 11, verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she told him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. "'Having said this, she went back "'and called her sister Mary, "'saying in private, the teacher is here "'and is calling for you. "'As soon as Mary heard this, "'she got up quickly and went to Jesus. "'Jesus had not yet come to the village, "'but was still in the place where Martha had met him. "'The Jews who were with her in the house, "'consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly "'and went out. "'They followed her, supposing that she was going "'to the tomb to cry there, But as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I'm going to stop there. Okay, we need to jump into the scene together tonight, right? You have two sisters. Their brother got sick, and they watched their brother die. Four days later, they're in the middle of heavy morning. I don't know if you guys have ever lost like a close family member or a friend, uh, but what kind of happens is typically there's like, a, it's almost like an earthquake. There's an epicenter and then these shockwaves start to hit and you have these different moments where things get more heavy and out of nowhere you have a memory of your brother and it gets a little bit more heavy and the shockwaves are starting to hit and it's starting to sink in for Mary and Martha. And on top of that, they were close friends with Jesus. They likely saw Jesus heal many. They knew he could come and heal their son or their their brother, but he didn't come. So imagine for a second, right, that you have a brother who's sick and dying, and you have a friend who has the cure for them, but they don't come. They like intentionally don't come, and your brother dies. There would be a level of frustration in your heart, right? Like there would be some emotions. In that, this is the scene that Jesus is walking into. And as Martha approaches him in verse 21, she's very authentic and real. Like, hey, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But this is awesome. She has this lead foot also of trust. Yet, yet even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. The wind and the waves are hitting Martha, but she's anchoring herself in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus's response is incredible. He says, your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he turns to Martha. He says, do you believe, Martha? She says, I believe you are the Messiah, anchoring herself in the person of Jesus Christ. That's Martha's response. What about Mary? Okay. Martha comes back and tells Mary. Mary comes rushing out. And what's her response? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Very authentic, very real. I think it's almost like it seems like there's a bit more, maybe, emotion with Mary than Martha. It's all kind of coming out. Saying, Where were you, Jesus? Our brother was sick and you let him die. What is Jesus' response to Mary? Guys, this is incredible. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus saw Mary crying and was Deeply moved. There's a Greek word in there that it's it's almost like it's like all of these things in one. Sorrow, anguish, grief, anger, pain, sadness. Like, that's the the deeply moved feeling that he's getting there. This is an intense emotion that Jesus is is feeling. And then he asks, where is Lazarus? They tell him. And then what does Jesus do? He weeps. Now, I want to stop here, and I want to talk a bit about uh, tears and emotion, okay? Because emotions can be kind of a tricky thing. At the end of the day, we are sinful people. We are not like Jesus. So our emotions typically can get attached to sin pretty quickly, and we can believe lies pretty quickly. And emotions can take us down some pretty unhelpful paths as we believe lies and need to hear truth from others or God's Word, right? So, so emotions can be horrible liars that time and take you down wrong paths, But that being said, emotions are not completely evil, either. Jesus is feeling emotions here. So what's true? Let me give you like this basic what's true. Crying is not a sin. Okay? we just say that? It's a normal human emotion. Like, this is just a normal thing that we do as humans. For example, uh, if you saw the new live-action Lion King, right? It's 2019. You guys have all seen that. Hopefully you've seen the original by now. But like that, that scene where the stampede happens, okay, you're following me, and Mufasa's climbing up the rocks and Scar, like he like grabs onto his paws. Disney trivia, you know what he says? It says, long live the king. I had to look that up, I didn't know. Um, whatever. So long live the king, and he shoves Mufasa into the stampede, and Mufasa dies. And then what happens? Like little Simba comes out, and he's like, Dad, Dad, wake up. You know, there's like, ugh, there's something in there when that happens, right? Like your eyes get all watery, and you're like, what's happening? Scar's a monster. Uh, he dies. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Lion King, you need to like wake up and watch Lion King. Uh, but that's, that's normal, right? It's not a sin to in that moment be like, gosh, I'm kind of sad. Mufasa just died. Emotions, sadness, and tears are a normal thing for us as human beings. And I, th- I think the Bible, guys, gives us permission to feel hurt and sorrow, to say that weeping is a normal thing. I got a couple verses that'll be up on the screen for you guys. Listen to this. Ecclesiastes 3 says, there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, right? And Romans 12 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who who weep. There's a time to weep. And actually, you're just going to be a really good friend if you weep with your friends who are weeping. This is where uh, Casey, my wife, is like 10 times more like Jesus than I'll probably ever be. Uh, She's a a deep feeler, so she can enter into others' pain. She weeps when others weep. She empathizes. Some of you are like that. You're great friends in that way. And this is what Jesus is doing right now with his friends. You see that. He entered in. He was present. He listened, and he wept. That's why Jesus wept. He was entering into the pain of his friends. Uh, but I would say Jesus wept for that reason, but I would also give you maybe one other reason why I believe Jesus wept. So if, if we zoom, zoom out a bit, Because you have to understand that Jesus was not created in Bethlehem. Like the Christmas story was not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus has always been, he is God. He was there at the beginning. Colossians 1.16 would tell us he was the creator of the universe. So he knows what happened in Genesis 3. He watched it all unfold. The fall of mankind and sin infecting the human race and the ripple effects of sin and the brokenness of sin, leading to things like sin, More sin, pain, death, the devil and his schemes working out in human race. Jesus is fully aware, and there's this anger, sadness, emotion inside of him. And guys, I have to imagine Jesus in his mind, looking at his creation, goes, it was never supposed to be this way. Mark Vance from Cornerstone Church in Ames says that Jesus is the author of life, which means that death is his enemy. He hates it. Shouldn't be this way. Sin has screwed everything up, leading to pain and death. So, what's Jesus' response? He weeps. But I think there's a bigger question we have to ask at this point in the narrative Jesus is weeping over his dead friend, right? But can we just ask the question? Couldn't this all have been avoided? L- look at verse 36, 37. So the Jews said, see how they loved him because he wept over his friend Lazarus. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? If, if this guy is God and he's in control of everything, if he doesn't like an outcome, couldn't he just change it? Right? Like he could have come right away, or he probably could have just healed from a a distance. The gospels would tell us that either one of those was possible. But I think the biblical truth that we have to wrestle with tonight, Salt Company, is this. Guys, Jesus let Lazarus die. That was true. He had the ability, but he didn't. That creates tension. That should, that should feel like tension in your soul right now. And so I want to ask the question, why? Why did he let Lazarus die? Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 38, the end of this passage. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Again, his motions coming out, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone. Jesus said, Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Four days he's been in the tomb, and guys, culturally in that day for Jewish people, that there was a belief that a, the, like a, the spirit of that person could hover for about three days, and there was a potential for that that spirit to re-enter that person and like almost bring him back to life. So we are just outside of that time window where people in that culture would be like, okay, there's no doubt at this point, Lazarus is for sure dead. He's dead. Then Jesus makes an odd request. He says, remove the stone, like a doctor looking at you saying, hey, dig that body up out of the ground. You'd be a bit skeptical, right? Four days, that's a long time in the tomb. Probably wouldn't smell like flowers and roses in a hot Palestinian climate, right? I think King James Version says this the best, Martha's response. I think we should bring some of this old English back because this is great. She goes, (laughs) she goes, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> Golly, that's great. If you guys go to King James next week, I get it, because that's awesome. right? But I was like, He stinks. Like he's dead. Jesus, what are you doing? What are you talking about? What's Jesus do? He prays. So I mean, he already knows what's going to happen, but he prays so that they know that He is from God, and then Jesus calls Lazarus from the grave. And there's a pause. And then like a mummy, this guy comes rolling out of the grave and Jesus commands, take off his linens. And there had to have been a a level of like shock and awe and then like celebration for sure for Mary and Martha going from tears of sadness to tears of joy because their brother had been raised from the dead. So Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, the author of life, defeats death with his words. Let's go back to the question. Why did Jesus let Lazarus die? To raise him from the dead, yes, but the answer is deeper than that. To get the answer to that question, we have to go back actually to verse 4. This will be up on the screen. Even before all this unfolds, this is what Jesus says. This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Why did Jesus let Lazarus die? So God would be glorified. Now, this can seem offensive to people. Can I just say that? This, this seems offensive to people. All of that for God's glory. And as I was, as I was thinking about this, actually Tim Keller had, had some helpful things to say in this. Uh, he said, because some churches today teach that, like the character of God and his purpose is to make you happy and healthy, right? If, if we buy into that, if we accept that, we, we get offended when we hear that, that like tra- tragedies can honor and glorify God. Like if we buy into that theology, then when we hear that, Like verse four, things like this, we get a bit offended. But can I say tonight that the happy, healthy theology is bad theology. Good theology is this, that our lives, the whole purpose of our lives, guys, is to glorify God. That's why we're here. It's all about God's glory. He's worthy of all of our praise. And Lazarus died so that God would be glorified. There was a greater purpose at work in all of this. Jesus knew the whole time he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, totally in control, not in a hurry. He knew exactly what was going to happen. Yet, guys, this is where you got to start catching some of these things. Yet, he was still emotionally engaged. Did you catch that? He is still completely present. Jesus is not cold or distant in this moment. He is in the trenches with Mary and Martha. Guys, he is weeping with them. But the whole time he knew there was a greater purpose. And that purpose was not to alleviate suffering. That purpose was not human happiness. That purpose was God's glory. So, So, hey, let's take this story, let's flip it to 2019 as I'm looking at you guys right now. Do you believe that Jesus is still working in the same way today? Do you believe that Jesus is in complete control of your situation and at the same time completely emotionally engaged, fully present? Because for some of you that that second part might not feel true right now completely present empathizing with you and and I just, man this is going to be for just like some of you in this room tonight some of you in this room right now need to hear these words from Jesus words like i know i'm fully aware i'm in control I'm with you. I love you. I care. I promise. Because these are the things about our God, Jesus, that should blow you away. Fully in control, fully present, working all things for his glory. Now, the hard part in all of this is there is still a level of mystery to our suffering and God's glory, okay? I'll say, like, this is just what's true. We will inevitably face things in life that do not seem to match up with God's character, right? We can't always connect the dots. And let me say tonight, because that's, that's okay. There's not always gonna be a clear answer in your pain and suffering or others' pain and suffering, My question tonight is, do you trust God even when you don't understand how or why he's at work? I'm gonna give you a picture. Uh, Imagine a child going with their parents to the doctor's office. The purpose of that doctor's visit is for that child to get shots to keep them from getting some kind of horrible virus or bacterial thing that will potentially kill them. But they gotta get a shot, right? That, that child can have one or two views of their parents in that moment. They, they can fully trust their parent and not, not understanding what the heck a virus or bacteria is, but they just trust their parent. Like, okay, apparently this is going to hurt, but you're wanting me to do this, so I guess I just, I'll just trust you. I'll just trust you. Okay. Or you can be that, look at that other child who just doesn't trust their parents at all, and they're like, you're going to shove what in my arm? For, like, my parents are monsters right now, right? Do you, you get that picture, okay? Because the reality is that sometimes God does things in his wisdom that we will never understand. Like, we don't understand what that shot's for. Because Jesus loved Lazarus, and the biblical reality is he stayed put for two days. Sometimes Jesus comes, and sometimes he doesn't. Do you trust God in your pain and suffering, even when you don't fully understand? Guys, this all comes back to your understanding of who God is, the character of God. If you view God or think of God as a manipulative father— you're going to be pretty disheartened and discouraged when trials in this life come. If you see God as like a magic genie who will just do whatever you want him to do, uh, yeah, you're going to be pretty disappointed when things in this life come because you're going to ask him for a wish and he's not going to grant it, and you're not going to understand why. But if you think of God as all knowing and all powerful and a God who loves me, loves you more than you'll ever know, I promise it'll change everything. It'll change your view on how you view pain and suffering. Christian, do you, t- do you trust Jesus when you're walking through the fog of life? Uh, J.I. Packer said it this way to answer that question. I think this is great. We can be sure that God, who made this marvelously complex world order and who compassed the great redemption from Egypt and who later compassed the even greater redemption from sin and Satan, knows what he is doing and doeth all things well, even if for the moment he hides his hand. Listen to this. We can trust him and rejoice in him even when we cannot discern his path. CJ Mahaney would say, when we trust in Jesus, we go from questioning to praying, from confusion to certainty, perplexed to fully trusting God. And here's the kicker. Even if your circumstances don't change. Our calls to trust God even if we don't understand. It gives Him glory. The problem, I think the problem in all this, guys, is we're human and Because if we think about the Lazarus story, in reality, we're likely going to look at life like Mary and Martha were likely looking at life during those four days where they were waiting for Jesus to show up. Right? Like this tension that we live in where we don't have the answers to our questions. Like, how could Jesus let this happen? Does he no longer care what's happening? I think at times we can put Jesus on the hook because we don't understand how he's working And we forget that He is God. He knows everything. He cares and He's in control. Guys, Jesus knew that Lazarus would rise from the dead. Do you believe tonight that He knows how your trial, your suffering, your pain will end? Do you believe that? Do you believe that He is walking with you through your pain and suffering? And let me ask the biggest question. Do you realize that we serve a God who also has walked through pain and suffering? Uh, Salt Company, if, if we want to see... What are we talking about tonight? We're talking about pain and suffering for the purpose of God's glory. Guys, you want to go to the bookends of that spectrum. If you want to see ultimate pain and suffering for ultimate glory, God's glory. Guess then we look to the cross. We look to Calvary. We see the son who was abandoned and alone. And we watch as the son is beaten, as he takes the lashes, ripping his flesh like ribbons, And as he is nailed to a tree fighting for every breath. And then we realize Jesus right now is taking my shame and my guilt on his shoulders. The punishment I deserve, he's taking. Jesus is about to take on. The unfiltered wrath of God in my place. Tony guys, we as humans, we don't have categories for that kind of pain and suffering. But now let's talk about the glory that came from that pain and suffering. Right? Let's talk about an empty tomb. Let's talk about the grave being robbed as Jesus defeated death. Let's talk about the one who should be buried right now, but who, who is alive and at work. Let's talk about the one who found us dead in our sins and came screaming after us with his love. The reality, guys, is the greatest suffering in human history led to the greatest glory and the greatest hope that we can have. Jesus suffered, yes, but he also rose. He is the resurrection and the life. Right, which means that you and I have hope because you and I were brought into the world of sin and brokenness. You and I had sin flowing through our veins. The ripple effects had already happened in our lives as we came into this world. Every single one of us was born into this world, spiritually dead, physically alive, spiritually dead, like the walking dead. And what we deserved was actually punishment from a perfect and holy God for our sin. What we deserved is hell and for our life, Jesus gave up his. So, company, we do nothing to make ourselves go from spiritual death to life. In the same way that Lazarus did nothing to raise himself to life except get sick and die, the only thing we bring to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. But God, in his grace brought us from spiritual death to life guys i want to make this so abundantly clear tonight jesus didn't come to make bad people good jesus came to bring dead people to life which means some of you here tonight have a decision that you need to make cuz you've been on the fence with jesus for a while And let me give you uh, three realities that Mark Vance shared that I thought were really helpful and true. All of them true. Life is short, number one. It's a mist. Two, physical death is certain. What's the mortality rate in this room tonight? 100%. We are all heading for physical death. And number three, what you do with Jesus just determines where you spend eternity. Will you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Look at Martha, verse 27. Do you believe this? Because whoever lives and believes in me will never die. She says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Will you have that kind of response? To trust in Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And for those of you tonight who follow Jesus, guys, what an incredible hope we have. Let's be honest. We can be honest. Things in, this life, there, things in this life will hurt. Pain is real. Death is certain. But because we are in Christ, we look forward to what is to come. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul writes this, listen to this, Christian. Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction, that's how he describes trials and sufferings in our lives. Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen on this earth, but, we all, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Guys, the trials in our lives, they are real, they are challenging. I promise you that God is not minimizing our suffering. Rather, he jumps into our suffering and weeps with us. We have that kind of God. But guys, these trials in life, in this temporary life, pale in comparison to the victory we have in Christ. So we trust the one who's gone before us. And it's exactly because Jesus went to the cross that we can trust him. Nick Anderson in our teacher's meeting said it this way, and I love this. We sometimes put Jesus on the hook for our sufferings, but Jesus ultimately put himself back on the hook as he hung on the cross. Because I'm, I'm going to put this quote up by Elizabeth Elliott, who was married to the infamous Jim Elliott missionary. And guys, let us just simmer for a moment. Those hands that keep a million worlds from spinning into oblivion were nailed motionless to a cross for us. Here's my question for you tonight, Soul Company. Can you trust him? Sin, suffering, death, all really strong enemies. It's true. Jesus is greater than them all and defeated them all. John 11 tells us we can trust Jesus in our pain, that we can trust him in our suffering. He is the resurrection and the life. He's brought us from death to life. So we worship him tonight. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we are eternally grateful for the good news of the gospel, for the good news that we were dead in our sin. Ephesians two would say we are enemies of the living God. But shortly after that in Ephesians two, two massive words hit the page, but God, but God, but God sent his son for us. And Jesus, I love that you are not a God who is distant and cold, but rather you're a God who is absolutely in control and all-powerful and all-wise, all-knowing. And at the same time, you enter into our pain. You weep with us. You cry with us. These, These are the things, Jesus, that makes me love you so much. And I pray that students' hearts, as they're sitting in their chair right now, they'd be captivated by the beauty of who you are, even amidst our pain and suffering. Jesus, we trust you at the end of the day that all the pain and suffering we face in this temporary world, it's all for your glory. And even when we don't understand it, my prayer for the students tonight is that we can trust you because Jesus, you went to the cross and you died one of the most brutal deaths, but on top of that, absorbed everything we deserved from a perfect and holy God. The wrath coming our way. But the good news is there's an empty tomb. And so we celebrate tonight the fact that you resurrected from the grave, that you defeated death, that you are the resurrection and the life, and that we can put our hope and trust in you. Everything clings on you, Jesus. We trust you. We love you. We're thankful that you rose from the grave, pursued us, and then brought us from spiritual death to life. So tonight, Jesus, we worship you. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.